The wounded healer needs healing, but how is he to get it? You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and joining me today is Dr. Robert Klitzman. Dr. Klitzman is the Associate Professor of Clinical Psychiatry at the Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons. He co-founded and for five years co-directed the Columbia University Center for Bioethics and is currently the Director of Ethics, Policy, and Human Right Corps of the HIV Center. Thank you very much, Dr. Klitzman, for joining us. You're very welcome. You've also written a book that has been very well received called When Doctors Become Patients. Could you tell me what prompted you to write this particular book? Well, I unfortunately became a patient myself. Unfortunately, my sister died on September 11th. She worked at the World Trade Center. And for several weeks afterwards, I felt depressed. I was mourning her her death. But also, I didn't feel like getting out of bed. My body sort of was achy, and I felt like I had the flu. I, I hurt to move. My muscles hurt. My back ache. My eyes itched and hurt. And Friends would say, oh, this is all because you're depressed. And I would say, well, I know I'm mourning the loss of my sister, but I think I also have the flu. And they'd say, no, 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 you're depressed. And I finally realized they were right. And I was struck by the fact that even though I trained as a psychiatrist, I'd failed to see these symptoms as symptoms of depression. I'd misdiagnosed them. And I began to look in the literature at how other doctors deal with being ill and facing their own illness and found that there had only been single case reports doctor saying, you know, I once had disease X and this is what it was like for me, or another doctor saying, well, I had that disease, this is what it was like. But no one had ever tried to weave together these different stories and try to look at common themes, try to look sociologically, if you will, at what are the patterns that emerge when doctors become patients? How do they change? What's good? What do they learn? What do they have to unlearn? And so that's what I set out to do. In your book, these doctors frequently diagnose themselves, treat themselves, and actually prescribe for themselves, causing themselves certainly some degree of harm. What led them to do this? What was the process, and what were they thinking about when they narrated their stories? Well, there was a lot of denial often at first, so people often delayed diagnosing themselves. So one doctor was pushing a stretcher with a patient on it into the operating room and began to get some chest pain and kept operating for a while until he realized he's having an MI. And I think the sort of having the role of the doctor and filling that role sort of trumped everything else. When they self-prescribed, of course, doctors, we all like to be in control of things, or many of us do. And so a lot of doctors found it hard to cede that kind of authority to someone else. And there was a lot of issues around who's in charge. And a lot of doctors didn't want to have someone else in charge, especially because a lot of doctors thought, you know, I know what I'm doing. So one doctor, for instance, said that when he went to the hospital for surgery, he brought his own pain meds with him in a little plastic baggie because that way he wouldn't have to bother the nurses. Uh, A lot of docs self-prescribed for depression. They'd write themselves prescriptions for Prozac, partly because they didn't want other people to know that they were depressed or they didn't want it on their medical record. And again, I think because they wanted some control over it. So they tried to do a lot on their own, and it varied. I think that if people had an illness that was far outside their area of professional expertise, they tended to follow a doctor's advice more. So if a pediatrician had cancer, he tended to follow his internist, whereas if an internist had cancer or an oncologist had cancer, he or she tended to try to self-doctor much, much more. They all seem to have this feeling of wearing a magic coat, 
that you describe in your book. What was that all about? Well, they felt starting in med school that they were the doctor and they wore a magic white coat and disease was somewhere outside them. And that magic white coat made them invulnerable, if you will. And they didn't think of themselves as being sick. And it helped them. You know, we, we try to have, as doctors and sociologists have described, a sense of detached concern, where you want to be concerned but also detached. You don't want to be too concerned and you don't want to be too detached. You have to sort of strike a balance. And to wear a white coat, I think metaphorically and literally, sort of interposes this distance between us and disease. And to think about it, if you were to say to someone, I want you to go and stick your hands in the bodies of sick people, who would want to do that? But if you wear the magic white coat, I think it gives a sense of power, but it can get in the way. And a lot of doctors, for instance, when they became sicker said, you know, I acted like super doc. I thought I worked harder. I thought if I take care of more and more patients and, you know, I won't get sick, I won't die because I'm busy taking care of other people. And so there's kind of elements of magical thinking that go into that often. Not only do they wear a magical coat, I was struck by, now, I don't look particularly good in a hospital gown, but I was also struck by the fact that doctors, when they become patients, will actually bring scrubs to wear. Now, they'll use the excuse... You know, but my backside is not great, and, and I would agree with that. It's amazing that they didn't see that there was something else going on, why a patient would wear scrubs when he's hospitalized. Yes, of course. This way they still literally had the uniform of the doctor on or the healthcare professional, right? So, I mean, nurses wear scrubs, docs wear scrubs, patients don't wear scrubs. And so by wearing scrubs, you're not having the hubris or arrogance to actually wear a white coat around, right? But you are sort of uh, between the two roles, or if anything, dressing, literally dressing like a patient. At the same time, though, to to wear the hospital gown with your butt hanging out often, as they said, quote unquote, in the book, uh, you know, we we walk by patients in the hall or in the emergency room all the time who are wearing these gowns and their butts hanging out. We don't think anything of it. But suddenly when it's you and it's your butt hanging out and people are walking by, these doctors were incredibly upset by that. They found that it was humiliating, that they really felt a loss of dignity. And we don't talk about dignity much in medical school. And if anything, dignity sort of has a sense of sort of has taken on sort of a religious sense. But there's a way in which people feel very upset at an emotional level about what's going on. To be in a room with a cracked, broken window and the TV doesn't work and the you know, the phone doesn't work, and it's it's very frustrating. And uh, people were surprised at how these little indignities really built up. And of course, it may not affect your liver function tests or your cardiac enzymes, but they have a huge effect on how people feel about the experience. And the degree to which doctors can address that, I think, can help often with the kind of anxieties patients feel that may indeed affect some of the healing processes that are going on. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and I'm discussing a book, When Doctors Become Patients, written by Dr. Robert Klitzman. And we're discussing the various issues of what it's like to be on the other side. I was intrigued by the question when it was posed that if you had a choice of picking somebody who had tremendous technical skills or somebody who was warm and nurturing, that there was actually a conflict in their thinking. Could you answer that? Yes, I was very surprised. A lot of doctors, by the way, when they became patients, uh, became very honest and very self-reflective in ways that I think they never had been about doctoring and about their lives and, and their professional and personal lives. One said, you know, if I look at the people I trained with, 
were all basically about the same. I mean, there were one or two weren't as good, and maybe there was one out of 20 or 30 who was, you know, maybe one out of 100 or whatever, who was, you know, just significantly better than the rest of us. But most of us kind of knew what we were doing and were pretty good. Uh, and so the notion of, you know, now like, here's a list of the best docs in the city, what does that really mean? I mean, are they better docs, and how is that defined? And a number of docs said, you know, I went to see someone who was a specialist, and he waves everyone in the hall, and everyone respects him, and he was a lousy doctor when I was his patient. He didn't listen to me. He missed the diagnosis, et cetera, et cetera. You know, he publishes a lot. So a lot of docs said, given that in professional ability, I don't see that much difference, really, that I'd prefer to go with someone who was just nicer uh, and had better bedside matter, because the, the the marginal difference in that was worth more to me than the potential marginal increase in ability. That being said, with one exception, that was for specific, very technical surgical things, where one doc said, for instance, a friend of his needed a procedure, and he said, you know, the best the person you should see is this guy. If you can stand him, he is a, you know, at doing a skilled technical thing for this particular kind of operation. He's terrific, but he is a mean son of a bitch. <laughs> and, you know, he is not nice. And sure enough, the woman was very upset by very rude things he said, but she got a good operation done from him. So uh, most people opted for the slightly more warmth and compassion over the slightly more technical ability. And some of that came through in what these doctors then learned. So a number of doctors said, you know, I, I've learned that so-and-so has a wonderful art and skill of giving bad news. I don't have it, but I know this doctor has it, that even if it's bad news, she'll somehow make me feel better about it. They talked about how there are different styles in, in giving bad news and, and things they learned. So one doctor said, for instance, the night before his surgery, his surgeon said to him, you know, there's a 5% chance you may die tomorrow in the operating room. And the surgeon who was speaking to me said, you know, that night I couldn't sleep. I was so upset. And it's only later that I realized that the doctor could have instead said to me, you know, there's a 95% chance that you'll live tomorrow. And he said, you know, in my 30 years of practicing, I never realized that those two bits of information, which are statistically the same, 5% chance you may die, 95% chance you may live, that they would have such a completely different emotional response from a patient. I never realized that. Well, do you think we all have to become patients, and do we all have to have every diagnostic test so that we have some empathy with our patients when we are so casual about go through this, even a bowel prep, it, it's nothing. If you've right. never had yeah, one, right. you can say it's nothing, but yeah, then you right. have it and right. your, your feeling is entirely different. How do we get this empathy back that we seem to be losing? Well, I would hope, that's part of the reason I wrote the book, is to hopefully inspire docs uh, or motivate docs to say, you know, we have but one point of view. And when we're talking to a patient, they have a completely other point of view of what we're doing. And we're not talking the same language and we're not looking at things the same way. And to realize that, I think, is very powerful. And that's what these doctors realized. And I would hope that these doctors saying, you know, even though patients complain all the time, we can dismiss, oh, just the patient complaining, but I'm one of you guys. And these are things that we're not doing well and we need to do better. I would hope that this message could compel some docs to begin to think about, you know, I'm not seeing this the way my patient's seeing this. And I should try to get around that and try to understand a little bit of, how confusing it must be. I mean, people have suggested, oh, all well, first-year medical students should be on, put on, have to sleep on a hospital ward. Well, 
Some of us did sleep on a hospital ward when we were interns and residents because that was the only bed available to sleep in or the best one. Uh, But I think unless you're sick, unless you're really facing the uncertainty and the tragedy and the dread and the horror, it doesn't have the same effect on you. The doctor would say, oh, here are routine tests. Well, if, if you're wondering if your cancer is coming back, it's not routine to get an LFT, for instance. So I think that hopefully short of everyone becoming seriously ill themselves, to begin to realize that there are other ways of looking at what we're doing, I think is crucial. And that's what I tried to convey in the book. This book really reinforces the love affair that so many of us have carried on with medicine all our lives. This book opens our eyes to so many issues that continue to happen both while we're actively practicing, while we're ill, and while we go through our retirement and, as you say, reinvent ourselves. Please read When Doctors Become Patients, and I would like to thank Dr. Robert Klitzman for being our guest today, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Thank you for listening. We thank you for listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals.